Well, hey, um, some of you know that I have a, a son named Noah who's now in college, um, but I remember when he was in elementary school, he played baseball. He played baseball uh, a lot for quite a while. Um, he was a fan, fan of baseball, and so uh, while he was in elementary school, I had this idea, you know, let's, let's go and see some different baseball stadiums. We'd gone to plenty of Diamondbacks games. We'd seen games, gosh, back then it would have been the Metrodome in Minnesota, much better stadium in Minnesota now, but we, we'd seen a few different games, but they'd always been in the, one of those two stadiums, so we thought, you know, we're not that far from California, and we could knock out two stadiums in one weekend, so we went over and got tickets for two different games. We went to see the LA Dodgers, uh, one game that was an evening game, and then we got tickets for the Anaheim Angels I think the name is way longer than that, but that's what we're going with. What is it? The Los Angeles Angels of Ama, Anna? Something crazy. Anyway, we went to see the Angels game at the Angels Stadium. I think it was the next day. And it was two stadiums during two days. And for the Angels game, actually for both tickets, uh, both games we had tickets that were kind of way out there. Um, and for the Angels game, we were kind of way up and out the left field. But we really, really didn't care. It was, you know, known as the nosebleed section. It was up that high. But we just didn't care. Uh, for us, it was the experience of going to the game, checking out a new stadium. And so in Anaheim, we parked, you know, walked across the huge parking lot over to the, to the gates. And somebody came up to us, said they had tickets to the game, and do we want them? And I said, no, no, we already got tickets. Thanks, though. And just kept walking. Well, I didn't walk too far before I stopped and thought, you know, um, we might only do this stadium once, and if his tickets are reasonable and they're a lot better than where we're sitting, it'd be worth, you know, upgrading um, to those seats. Um, so ran back, tapped him on the shoulder, and said, hey, hey, man, do you still have those tickets? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, um, so just curious, where are the seats? And he said, well, it's just a little bit up here from third base behind the dugout. And I was like, okay, those are better seats. Uh, impressed my elementary you know, school child here, and, uh, and I said, okay, how much do you want for them? He says, oh, no, they're, they're free. You, you can just have them here. Take them. So, I mean, right? Okay, so we did. We actually took our tickets and gave them to somebody else who's kind of paid it forward, and, um, and, and I was loving these seats. Um, I was sitting there the whole game. Like, I'm sitting back there, and I'm, I'm watching the game, but I I kept trying to see if my 10-year-old Noah was okay out there in his left field bleacher seat. Just, just kidding, no. They, we took both tickets. I kept him with me. So. But that game was really fun for us, partly because of how it sort of unfolded. And it was kind of crazy because I would sit there in my seat, and every once in a while I'd look way up in the nosebleeds, way out there, I think it was left field, and go, that's where we were supposed to be sitting originally, and I wondered, gosh, what would have happened if we hadn't just turned around and just asked the guy, right? What if we have, would have happened if we just hadn't asked him, tapped on the shoulder? I mean, the game would have been fun, we would have taken it in, but it would not have been the same experience that it was. Now, I think that in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus delivers this message, I think he's kind of doing the same thing. He's offering an invitation to people. He's saying, listen, you've been living life this way, and it's, it's fine, it's out there, it's in the ballpark if we stick with the analogy, but now I'm coming, and I'm offering a whole new way of seeing things, 
a whole new way of doing life. In fact, it's counterintuitive, and it might not make sense because y'all have been doing your life a certain way, especially in that day, a certain way they'd been doing their life. And so the way Jesus offered looked counterintuitive, which it does to us as well. Um, Some of the things he says don't make sense right at first, but he's asking us to trust him, trust that his way is better than the way that we naturally would tend to gravitate towards. And I believe he's asking folks, will you take this invitation? Will Will you walk in this different way that looks much different than the kingdom of your own life, your kingdom? Will you trust that the kingdom of God is a different way, a better way, the way that you were actually wired and designed for? Because if you'll walk in that way, which again, looks very counter to the way you've been doing life, but that is the path to real life. And we're in this series that we're calling The Upside Down Message of Jesus, where we are looking at Jesus' invitation to us through a sermon that he preached in Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at the Beatitudes, which are these invitations where Jesus invites us to follow his way to do life in his kingdom, where things look very different than they do in the kingdoms of this world or in my and your personal preference kingdom. Because honestly, these Beatitudes and much of what Jesus teaches, they can really rub us the wrong way because they challenge our own personal little kingdoms. They challenge the assumptions that you and I often have about the best way to live life, the way our culture says, well, this is how it's supposed to be done. This is how you get ahead. This is how you have life to the full. But we are invited to live in God's kingdom But here's the catch. In order to really fully live in God's story, his way, to follow Jesus, to live in his kingdom, to do that kingdom, we have to set aside our own kingdom. Like, you can't do both. We can't do both. We can't do one and sort of some of the other. It just doesn't work that way. And if we approach these teachings in the Beatitudes that we've been looking at, wanting to still pursue life with our own kingdom, this stuff that Jesus says is really going to grate on us, and it rubs against kind of our humanity, pushes against our own kingdom. Um, And so if we want to hold on to our own kingdom, then the stuff that Jesus teaches, it's going to be pretty hard to grasp. And so as we walk through this message, I just want you to be asking yourself this question in the back of your mind, the back of your heart. Jesus, is there any invitation that you are giving giving that you want me to receive, but I'm still holding on to my own kingdom. I'm still determined to hang on to my own way. Because I think that the Beatitudes press on these things in us in a way maybe that no other text in Scripture can do. So with all of that in mind, let's pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago, where we've been camped out for over a month, and let's read verse 6 here out loud together on the screen. Blessed are those Together, ready? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this is the one we're going to wrap up today. We've been on it for a number of weeks. And what we did, just for a quick review, is the first couple few weeks, we looked at this hunger and thirst piece, that we are all hungry, thirsty people. We are looking for ways to fill ourselves And there are ways that we fill ourselves that don't align with righteousness. It's looking to fill our needs with things that kind of sometimes are very personal. Our own temptations are what sort of takes us off track 
from focusing on being filled by Jesus in his way. We, we get distracted, we get confused, we sometimes are deceived, oftentimes we're just blatantly disobedient, or at least I am, and we just go our own way. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled because he knows that the only way for us to truly be filled is through him, that these other ways just don't work. Now, when Jesus said this, and first, actually, I want to I define righteousness. So what is righteousness? Because we haven't talked about that word too much, and that's really just what we're going to talk about today. Um, so what is righteousness? Righteousness can simply be defined as right standing with God, right? Righteousness is the condition uh, of an individual to be in right relationship with God. Now, this verse, uh, a lot of folks have some different debates, like, well, listen, is this about individual righteousness that Jesus is talking about, or is it about, like, corporate righteousness, like, as a group and how we approach the world and the issues that are not righteous around us? Which one is it? And Jim answered that very well uh, about a month ago. It's both. It is both. And so I'm going to touch on both our individual righteousness and right standing with God, and also, what does righteousness look like for us as a community to long for and work for and, and advocate for outside of our own doors and our own community? Um, so we'll start out with individual righteousness. Now, all through the Gospels, uh, Jesus dismantles what was being held up in that day as righteousness. Uh, what, what he mostly went after was the duty and religion and the performance and pursuit of the law that the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, he goes after that stuff. And we'll get into more detail in that uh, in, later in this series as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. But again, the Pharisees had a way of saying, this is how you will individually be righteous before God. It's, de it's dependent on your performance, on you getting it right. It is dependent on you following the law and every little interpretation we've made of the law and expanded of the law for you to really be righteous and serious about God. So, I, I know that in the modern-day church, this happens a lot. And I've told you before that I had some legalism in my walk that I had to walk through and work through. Uh, in fact, I say somewhat tongue-in-cheek that when I went to Bible college, it was, uh, it was Pharisee training school. Like we, right? Holiness was very externally motivated and not a lot about grace or the heart response to a loving God. So I discovered, finally... <laughs> Um, that I'm not just right with God when I believe the right things and do the right things, um, because those things and that way of living, I learned, as many people have learned, that, that trying to approach God that way is based completely on our performance to try to earn right standing before God. And that's the kind of righteousness that Jesus came to upend. That was the righteousness of the Pharisees. I'm still not sure how we get so confused about this in so many of our walks with God, but I think it's just natural for us to gravitate towards striving and trying to earn it. As John Lynch said in the video, um, pleasing God, and, and the way I would frame it is even just performing well. Like, I'm trying to earn it. There's a path of earning it, and there's the path of grace. And Jesus brings actual righteousness, not through earning it, but he brings it through himself, through this path of grace where he offers to you and I freely his righteousness 
We trust in Jesus, and that's how we become righteous. Now, there's so many scripture verses that when I looked at the length of the message, I went, wow, I'm just going to have to pull these out for now, but we're going to get to them in future weeks when we come back to this righteousness piece um, because Jesus talks a lot about righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount, but just let it kind of crystallize here for us that righteousness as Jesus offers and describes it is not about religious performance. It's not about religious performance. It is not about striving and, and, and trying to prove that you have all the right answers. It's not about being right. Um, that's not what righteousness before God looks like. Righteousness is a gift that is given when we trust in Jesus. That's how we're made righteous. We, we say yes to Jesus, we begin to follow Jesus, and he changes us from the inside out and declares that we are righteous. Now, if you are someone who has said yes to Jesus, and you are a follower of Jesus, um, when God declared you righteous, he gave you a brand new identity. So the old things that used to mark our life, the old ways that we used to try to meet our needs or perform or all that stuff, it's behind us because it didn't work. 2 Corinthians 4, Uh, 5, and I'm going to read verse 17 and 21, it reads this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right, so if you follow Jesus, you've said yes to him, you are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Other translations say, you are a new creation. (laughs) You are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, it is here And it says this in verse 21 about this righteousness. God made him, that's Jesus, to, God made Jesus who had no sin to actually be sin for us so that in him, right, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So we are, we are the righteousness of God. I mean, just that's mind-blowing to even try to unpack some of that. In Christ, so if you've said yes to Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus. He has made you one of his. You are, according to this scripture and many others, you have become the righteousness of God. That's what he gives to you. See, it's it's a new identity that, that we are given when we become followers of Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, when, when you say yes to Jesus, when you begin to follow Jesus and have a relationship with God, this miraculous thing happens that the New Testament describes where you are given a new nature, a new heart. Uh, we can think of it like having a whole new uh, DNA that is wired within us. And, and so suddenly, our heart, because it's a new heart, it's the heart of God, the righteousness of God in us, that heart is the thing that, that is drawn now towards things like righteousness, right? Maybe before, um, you didn't care much about certain issues, but now because of who Christ is in you, and the more you awaken to his transformation inside of your heart, your heart, which is the deepest, truest part of you, you want to follow Jesus. It's no longer just this grind that you're trying to do this to get out of hell, <laughs> No, we're doing it because we love Jesus. Your new heart actually hungers and thirsts 
for righteousness because that's the way God wired you. That's how he wired us, right? So again, let me track this down. Let's say you're beginning of your walk with God, right? You say yes to Jesus. You become a child of God. God gives you this new identity, this new nature, and by grace, we begin to follow Jesus. That's what the walk of a Christian looks like. It's not an earning. It's not striving to change ourselves. We are cooperating with God as he transforms us. But when we follow Jesus, we say, I'm going to trust that his life in me is the thing that's actually real that I want to follow. Now, sometimes, again, it goes counter to what we think because it's two different kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God or it's the kingdom that I've just been kind of stuck with here thinking about and living in. So I think it's normal, but it's not in alignment with what Scripture teaches or, or what it says about your new heart and mine, okay? So um, here's an illustration of that. So before I was in Christ or before I was even more transformed by my relationship with Jesus, I used to want to be selfish, right? Some of you can maybe relate to that. Greed looked good. We might even say, in some places in our culture, say greed is good. <laughs> um, but in Christ, suddenly someone who used to be greedy, because the new heart of God is in them, I turn around and go, you know, this is maybe a little weird. But the closer I get to Jesus... The more I'm living out wanting to be generous, where did that come from? <laughs> where did that come from? Well, it comes from what Christ has planted in you that brings about change in your heart and mine. And so instead of being selfish now, I'm actually looking for ways to open my hands and be generous with other people. And again, generosity, for example, can be approached a couple different ways. We can do generosity out of striving and trying to prove and, and out of someone manipulating us or making us feel guilty. You can do generosity that way. Or the life-giving way to do it is allowing the life of God to flow through you and me where I then become generous. I actually want to be generous. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to follow the rules. I'm doing it because I trust that when Jesus talks about being generous... He knows what he's talking about. So, okay, I don't even feel this thing. It doesn't even seem right to me. But Jesus says this way is the way to go. That's the kingdom to live in. Okay, uh, I'm going to trust that, and I'm going to follow him into that. Again, not out of obligation, not out of guilt or compulsion, but because I trust that he knows what he's talking about. That's where I start to walk in that way. Trusting what Jesus is, is talking about. When I trust that I know what he's talking about, right, then when it comes to my kingdom or the kingdom of God in the area of sex, well, I tell you what, the kingdom of our world says all kinds of things about sex and sexuality that look a way that most people, if you did a survey, would go, well, of course, that's fine and that's all right and that's actually empowering and good. But it doesn't mesh with what Jesus says about sexuality. So as a follower of Jesus, I don't look what Jesus says about sexuality and go, well, that's just so stifling and it's not me, and I'm, you know, whatever it is that I want to use as an excuse to just do my own kingdom and do the things that I would rather do apart from following Jesus, I, I go, Phew. And I, I got to tell you, I have some friends that have done this so well, um, especially some of those that are older and, and single that go, you know what? Um, man, now that I'm single and they've been married before, 
I see most single people my age are having sex and being promiscuous and whatever else, but I'm not doing this just because there's guilt that says don't do it. I'm doing this because I trust even when I don't understand it that when Jesus lines lines out what healthy sexuality looks like, I'm going to follow his pathway. (laughs) I'm going to trust his path for how to live. Even when I go, whew, this is really hard and nobody else that even seems to Nobody else seems to be following the way of Jesus when it comes to sexuality. Even even other Christians, everybody just kind of shrugs and winks at it. But again, I'm thinking of a couple of my friends in particular. They are faithfully following Jesus' way because they trust that he knows what he's talking about. Jesus knows what he's talking about when it comes to everything he teaches, but especially think of how hard it is to follow his path when it comes to sex, when it comes to money, or following Jesus' path when it comes to power and exercising power. But when we discover that everything Jesus teaches about those things and others, we go, wow, you know what, he's right. He's right and he knows the best way to live. It's not the easiest way to live, but it's the best way to live. And we find as we do that, again, it doesn't always get easier, but we find, okay, that actually is more in sync with the heart that he gave me and we are actually more freed. We are, we are freed up to live more in the way of Jesus rather in his kingdom rather than our own little kingdoms that we're so stuck on following. Now, when it comes to trusting this new identity, this new heart that God has given us and living in that way instead of the way of our own kingdom, we look at things like the Beatitudes and we can see these statements as invitations even though they're counter to what, what we normally would, would pursue in our life, we see these invitations, we trust Jesus knows what he's talking about, and we go, really, Jesus? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted? You're saying that's the kingdom way to live, to, to get, like we learned a couple months ago, to get the stuff on the inside to the outside, that's mourning, to not hide, but to get it out? Jesus, really? Because the world says, hide your stuff. It says, don't quite be you. Don't really let people know when you're in pain. You need to just fake it till you make it. That's the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God says, no, 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 you want to be free? You want to live free? Blessed are those who mourn. They're the ones that get the comfort. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth, right? Not the kingdom of the world says, blessed are the meek. Are you kidding? The meek get nothing. You have to strive and drive and dominate in order to get what you want, Blessed are the meek. Who's kidding who? That would never work. But Jesus says, no, no, no. In my way, in my kingdom, follow this way, and you will see that it syncs up with your heart, your new identity, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed, if we start living that way, it's in sync with our identity as a believer, to, to, to live as a peacemaker in this world that just wants to beat each other over the head with our disagreements, Right, so we trust, okay, Jesus, the stuff you're saying here, I don't know how it's going to work, I don't know how it's going to be uh, present in my life, but whew, I'm going to do my best and follow you. See, because you have a new heart within you that is put in you by God, it does some things to you. Right? We read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled And that's where we go, righteousness. Now, okay, I have the righteousness of God 
in me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ according to Scripture. Okay, now, because I have that and I know that is something God has given me, what does it look like to see righteousness in the world around me? What would it look like to see righteousness in the world around me in ways that sync up with this heart that God has given me that oftentimes I don't pay attention to, but when I realize it's there and I get in touch with it, I see there is something there for me to unpack, to step into. See, you and I long to see righteousness in our world. Now, some people do just because, you know, they're good people and they want to see justice, and that's really wonderful. But as Christians especially, God has planted it within your heart and mind to see righteousness, which brings us to that other piece that I want to touch on here, corporate righteousness, which is, which is seeing righteousness happen throughout our world. Righteousness outside of these walls where we, we look for the tragedies and the wrongs in our world, we long to see those things made right. See, because a heart for righteousness it doesn't stop only on focusing on my personal relationship with God, that's a right relationship, but, but, but a heart for righteousness seeks to bring the kingdom of God by advocating for righteousness right here and now. That's what we mean when we pray, God, your kingdom come, in the Lord's prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth, just as it is in heaven. William Wilberforce is an incredible example of this. When William Wilberforce, who was in Britain in the 1700s, he was very privileged and had title and money and wealth and land and kind of just wasted it. And he ended up in political office. And something then changed in him where he began to hunger and thirst for righteousness and when he did, there were a couple issues that really caught his attention. Anybody know one of them at least? Yes, slavery caught his attention. Slavery caught his attention. He wrote, so enormous and dreadful did the slave trade's wickedness appear that my mind was completely made up for abolition. He said, let the consequences be what they would I, from this time, determined that I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. Now, in the beginning, his passion thought, we're going to get this thing done quickly. No doubt, quick success. And as uh, 1789, um, he had 12 resolutions introduced to the British Parliament to try and, and, and curb and end the slave trade. But he found quickly that there were lots of folks that were not interested in righteousness, but they were interested in advocating and making this continue to go forward in, in the UK and on throughout the British Empire. And so these interests would block him, international politics, entrenched bigotry, um, political fear, all kinds of stuff was done to try and block him and keep him from pursuing this. Well, after years and years and years, when it became clear to everybody else that Wilberforce was not going to let this thing die, that he really was going to keep pursuing it until it happened, um, one of his friends was so afraid of what the opponents in all these different countries would do to him if they ever got a hold of him because he was hated for his stand on righteousness. And the opposition got so fierce that one of his friends feared that one day he would, quote, read about Wilberforce being broiled by the plantation owners in India then barbecued by African merchants and eaten by Guinea captains. 
All of this he faced and never backed down. And one day his hunger and his thirst for righteousness in our world began to happen. And by the way, it's still not done yet. But finally the biggest, the biggest first step happened. Now, it was a hunger and thirst for righteousness that drove him into this. And I want to point something out here because um, there's a difference, and I've mentioned this before, but there is a huge difference, my friends, between politics and the church. And, and I want to make this really clear because this gets really easy to dance around and not go there, okay? But when it comes to politics and the church, some people say, well, the church is not supposed to talk about politics. And you know what? It is a different kingdom. The po kingdom of politics is a different kingdom. So it, it's real, it's important, um, but you know what? We have Republicans and Democrats and independents right here in this church, in this room, and I'm glad that we are not all one or all the other. I'm really thankful for that kind of freedom to believe what you believe in those areas. But, but I want to say something really clear here because um, we get some emails once in a while, uh, and, and um, politics, okay, listen, politics is very different than the issues that the church needs to be talking about. The church, let me say it this way, the church has a job and a responsibility to talk about moral issues. Anybody agree on that yet? Is that in the realm of the church? Moral issues, that's the job of the church to talk about. Not necessarily all the way how to solve them through the government, but we have got to talk about, it is our responsibility as the church to talk about moral issues, okay? So, <laughs> politics has a very different role. They're not about moral issues. And so when we talk about racism here, I get so frustrated with people who go, oh, you're talking about politics again. No, I'm not talking about political candidates or even some of the things out there. We are talking about a moral issue. So wherever you land and stand on racism, and my goodness, I hope it's being filtered through the word of God and the people of God and the kingdom of God, rather than the things that we get discipled by that are not of God, because those are the other kingdom, they're entitled to speak, but when we inform our views on race through the kingdom of this world, may, may it be politics or, or talk radio or all the different ways that it happens, when we just get informed that way and we don't talk about it from a biblical perspective, my friends, we are missing out because Jesus has things to say about these issues that are so important that might give us a third way from the two ways that our culture is demanding that we pick one or the other. And right now we're getting so polarized on so many issues because politicians have taken over the conversation and said, well, this is what we want if you're on the right wing, and this is what you say if you're on the left wing, and then it's reinforced by media and talk radio and people. And my friends, what we as the people of God need to do is say what is righteous and unrighteous, and that's our starting point. That's our starting point. We don't have to work all the details out, right? That's our standing point. Can we stand with our brothers and sisters, whether they be immigrants that are being mistreated, whether they be people of color in our nation that are mistreated, can we stand with them and say, in humility, say, I don't know all the answers, but I want to see righteousness too. 
I don't know every way to approach this, but you are my brother and sister, and it matters to you, and it affects you, so I'm going to stop being defensive about how I'm not racist or privilege isn't real or whatever else my argument is that I'm pulling out of the media. Can I just have humility and go, I want to see righteousness, and I want to stand with the people who God's heart is near. See, God's heart is near to people who are being oppressed to any unrighteous situation, whether it be abortion, right? Abortion is a tragedy. There is unrighteousness in abortion. But we are not going to change all the abortion by simply having new justices and laws. And I hope the political system works on that. But friends, we have to, as the people of God, go, how can we take care of babies who were unplanned and make sure that they will have a place to be cared for? How can we take care of, of unwed mothers or married mothers who just think that their only option is to abort their baby? How can we provide a different place and a way for them to go, well, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have to go down that road because there's people who would walk with me. It's not just about passing laws. We, as the people of God, have got to get out of the political arena and put our attention and action into the kingdom of God's stuff that matters, that matters. Rather than having our, our, our perspectives informed again by politicians who right now, I mean, come on, everybody in this room I'm sure would agree, all of them are disappointing. <laughs> all of them are disappointing right now. But aren't you glad that as the people of God, our hope is not in the kingdom of politics? Amen? As the people of God, we have a hope in Jesus. And that's why the stuff in us that rubs us wrong, rubs us wrong because our identity, our righteousness is from Christ and in Christ. And in him, when we see injustice, wherever it raises its head, before we tune in to listen to somebody tell us what to say on the radio or social media or the news or whatever, before we do any of that, man, what's it look like to do what Jason talked about last week, where we stop and pray and ask God for his heart to show us his way, his kingdom, his righteousness. I wonder if we could model something different than, than the anger we're seeing on both sides of the political aisle that is, frankly, destroying churches and families and friendships and neighborhoods. And you know who's excited when that destruction happens, when that kind of steal, kill, and destroy happens? Yeah, Satan. <laughs> That's who's excited. He doesn't care if the Democrats or the Republican wins. He has already won when we look at the division that happens between us. So friends, what does it look like this morning to give up some of our own kingdoms and press in to the heart of God, asking him to help us with these issues of our day and our world? Would righteousness maybe look like that person that you are angry with or estranged from? whether it's a friend or a neighbor or a family member, would it look like you laying down your argument and need to be right and your judgment of them as evil or stupid or whatever? <laughs> Can you lay that down and wonder what God's heart is for them? And instead of trying to change their mind, what would it look like? 
to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness in our relationships with the people around us. Again, not to win the argument, but to love them. Friends, people are so afraid right now. People are so afraid. Many of us are so afraid. And what we need is compassion for people's fear. We need compassion even for people's ignorance. But we need to stand up and stand with the people that Scripture talks about God standing with. The people God talks about standing with all through Scripture, that's where we need to begin. And so my last question here is, is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Okay, so what are we filling ourselves with? What are you filling yourself with? If we look at, and I hope it's Jesus, and I hope it's Scripture, because those are the sources that are going to bring us life, right? Those are the things that are going to bring us life. But I had... Um, Someone that I really respect um, was, was, was encouraging uh, followers of Jesus, and he said, listen, just pay attention this week. Just pay attention. Uh, where are you filling yourself from? Where are you turning to for your source? Um, and how is, for me it was, how is the social media or news that I'm consuming, filling myself with, how is that impacting my, my anxiety levels um, my, my ability to hang on to the peace of God, to the righteousness of God. <laughs> How is all that other stuff that I'm filling myself with really damaging my fullness with God, my connection to God? And um, Heidi was telling me about um, a friend of hers that just got back from one of the redwood forests in California. And um, this friend was saying, and I looked this up, and these giant trees... In California, anybody know how many gallons a day they uh, consume each tree? 125, 125, 125. Each tree, um, yeah, between 125 and 300 gallons, depending on the tree, per day. Now, did you know that if any trees are surviving the forest fires that blow through there, it's those trees, right? All the other stuff can just get burned out. It can just burn out, and these trees... If anything survives, it's going to be these trees. Part of it's the bark that they have because of how much water they consume. But, but, but these big trees survive. And Heidi was, was talking about this, and she had read Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8, which I'm going to have on the screen here and, and read out loud, thinking about these trees that were surviving in this fire, in this hard stuff, in, in unlivable situations for every other tree. Um, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Not in our own little kingdoms. Confidence in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Blessed is the one who trusts in God, who hungers and thirsts for the righteousness that he gives. Friends, don't you want to be saturated in the love and life, the water that Jesus brings to nourish us? Don't you want to be filled with what he gives us 
to be nourished because it's the only thing that's really going to satisfy our souls. And when I'm drinking from all the other pools that I drink from, I could do an awesome 20-minute kind of quiet time and get connected with God. And I just confession here, it takes about 10 minutes of news for me just to go, like just to suck all that away. Um, anybody besides me? There's more spiritual people in the room, I'm sure, but the rest of us, yeah. And I just noticed, like, this is something where I have to continue to plug in and drink from the well um, to be discipled, not by the news, not by the media, not by social media, but by Jesus as my source. So, friends, um, we're not going to close with a song this morning, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Because we do, friends, want to be filled, don't we? We hunger and thirst for righteousness because God made us that way. And so, as a way of thinking about receiving, letting go of things that are not helpful, letting go of our own kingdoms even, letting go of the kingdoms that get our attention instead of the kingdom of God, letting go of that. I want us to do a little exercise that you'll all get to enjoy into, join, in, join into here. And this is just something you can practice this week as well. But, but I want you to, to look at your hands. Just look at your hands. Just open them up and look at your hands. And then I want you to turn your hands palm down just as a way to posture our bodies to, to let go of things. And we'll do the palms down to let go and then the palms up to receive. But let's start with our palms down and go ahead and just close your eyes and, and think of Jesus um, sitting, standing right next to you. And with our hands open, I'm just gonna pray on behalf of our church body. Jesus, with our hands open, we, we're just gonna let go. Jesus, we're gonna let go of our little self-centered kingdoms. Jesus, we're letting go of some of the ideas that we have about how life is supposed to work. Jesus, with our hands open and palms down, we let go of the resentments and the broken relationships that we've been a part of causing. Jesus, we let go of some of the ways that we think we have to get our way or that we have to get our side to win. We're letting go of that. Jesus, we let go of putting our trust in political kingdoms. Jesus, we want to follow you, so we are letting go of our kingdoms. And then just face your palms toward the sky, palms up here. Let's receive now. Jesus, now that we've let all this stuff go, there's so much more space for you. So I want to say this morning, on behalf of my brothers and sisters, we want to receive your life. Will you fill us with your life? Will you fill us with your kingdom? Will you fill us with your way, your righteousness, your wisdom? Even the stuff that kind of grates on our human opinions, our human kingdoms. Lord, we want, we want to be open to learning from you the best way to live, to trusting you even when we don't understand. So we receive your wisdom, your goodness. Jesus, fill us, fill us now to the full. <laughs> fill us to the full. You said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We want to be filled, Jesus, by you. We want your way. We want your life. We want your words. 
your teaching. Fill us with your grace. We want your love. We're open to, we're open now to receiving it this morning. Before I dismiss, I'm just going to give you a little silence, just you and God to pray. Is there anything else in your own heart that you need to let go of or to receive? What's his invitation to you this morning? And then I'll close this with a dismissal. people of hope, as you go into your world, into your week, may you be filled <laughs> by the righteousness that Jesus has already placed in you. Will you tap into that as the place in your heart where you can operate from to love and care for yourself and for those around you? May you be deepened in your love and compassion. May the heart of Jesus be shown through you more and more, all through this week. Go now and be blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.